If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Hello and welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with your host, me, that's Gordon, and I've got Faris with me as well, who I'll introduce in just a second. Today is our third episode in the series of Bitcoin Begins. So if you haven't watched the first two, I'll link those in the show notes. And in our second episode, we looked at money and particularly commodity money and fiat money, sort of this before we we had uh, Bitcoin. So if you haven't watched that, please watch that because we actually went into sort of what is money and the properties of money and why we need money and, and also the gold standard and the US dollar. So now we're up to perhaps one of the, the biggest question and hopefully a question that you want answered if you're listening or watching to this. What is Bitcoin? Why a new money is needed? Faris, good luck. Thank you. So we're starting off with a simple but very difficult question to answer, which is what is Bitcoin? Um, and there's a lot to, um, there's a huge trickle down effect from Bitcoin. Um, so the main thing to keep in mind is Bitcoin was designed as what's called peer-to-peer currency. Now, peer-to-peer just means one person to another. Uh, it's a tech term. And if you're sending money from one person to another, there is a bank involved usually. So that's a third party. So if I were to send money to Gordon, he's on the other side of the world, I'd have to get Western Union involved, a bank involved, something like that. Bitcoin bypassed that in that I can actually send Bitcoins directly to Gordon from my phone to his phone, from my desktop to his desktop, um, basically using any um, digital platform, I can send Bitcoins directly to him. So Bitcoin was designed as a currency where you didn't need a third party. You don't have to open a bank account. Uh, you don't have to use any third party. It can just be directly from one to the other. Um, that is one aspect of Bitcoin is it's a currency. The other aspect is actually a store of value. Uh, we touched in this briefly in our previous episode. It's actually a way of just holding on to your funds long-term, holding on to an asset class long-term. A third component of Bitcoin, which we'll look at later when we explore the blockchain, is it's actually a new technology. It is, you know, some people are labeling it the Internet 2.0. So when you say what is Bitcoin, it is many different things. It's a new currency, it's a new store of value, and it's potentially the foundations for a new Internet. So how do I do, Gordon? No, pretty good, mate. It's uh, it's one of those things that has many layers. So once you describe a general definition of Bitcoin, then it's like, well, what is what is the technology? What is this? What is that? So good explanation. And I think sometimes it's it's very difficult to explain a completely new invention. A lot of people, you know, what is the internet? Well, it's sort of fax version 2.0. And it's like, no, that doesn't really explain it. That's like saying, what is a car? It's horse 2.0. Not exactly a good analogy or an example. It's something completely new. And a lot of the buzzwords that we hear are stuff like gold 2.0, digital gold, internet and money. But they're buzzwords. They don't really explain what Bitcoin is. 
So in our next episode, we're actually going to look at the technology behind Bitcoin, which is called the blockchain. So we're going to avoid that now and more concentrate sort of on the economic and the fundamentals. And in our last episode, as Farah said, we looked at this thing called store of value. And so I think it would be good to go through some of the attributes or characteristics of money. And remember, money is not the same as currency. So Faris, if you don't mind, I'm just going to list some of the main characteristics of money that you'll find in pretty much every single economics textbook. And perhaps you can explain them and go through some examples. So the first one is scarcity. So is, is Bitcoin scarce? Oh, absolutely. And the thing about Bitcoin is that it is definitely scarce. Um, we don't know how much gold there is in the world. We don't know how much silver. Um, we can actually now fabricate diamonds to the point you can't tell if they're real or fake. With Bitcoin, it can't be counterfeit. We know how many are going to be created. That was 21 million were going to be created. Uh, through human error, about between 5 and 7 million Bitcoins have been lost. So it was designed to be scarce from day one. Why does it need to be scarce? Like, why can't there just be infinite Bitcoin? Um, well, we've seen this um, in other currencies in that if you keep creating something, it loses its value. Uh, this happened with uh, Germany after World War II, where they entered hyperinflation. Zimbabwe, a lot of people have a trillion dollar note. So the more you create something, the less value it has. Yeah, and everyone knows what's happening to the US dollar as they print it into infinity at the moment. So, okay, the next property of money, or at least a good money, is that it's fungible. Is, is Bitcoin fungible? Uh, yes, it is. Now, this still is where Bitcoin has room for improvements. So Bitcoin is fungible in that it basically can be transferred across borders. So with the United States dollar, for example, that's fungible, meaning um, it is usable from one state to another inside the US. Uh, Australian dollar, you can use it within Australia, the euro within Europe. So with Bitcoin, it is globally fungible. However, um, not everyone accepts it. A lot of people still really don't know how to use Bitcoin. They don't know how to, you know, merchants don't really know how to set it up yet. Once you do know, it's quite simple, but there's still that fear of something new and unknown. So designed to be fungible, yes, but um, still a lot of practice and um, it's still a, still a new technology, still a bit scary for a lot of people and businesses. Yeah, and I think this is where the nuance comes in and don't worry, I won't go through a rabbit hole, but I think there is a huge difference between the currency, the underlying asset, like the US dollar, and then the method of payment. So you may use PayPal, Visa, MasterCard in uh, conjunction with the US dollar. But it's sort of the same with Bitcoin. Bitcoin, you sort of have Bitcoin, the technology, and then sort of above that, you have this sort of layer of, of payment. So um, you may not be able to use US dollar in a particular country, but you can certainly use Visa card, MasterCard or whatnot, which then converts into US dollar. But I think the main point that you mentioned, Faris, was, yeah, it's, it's not accepted everywhere yet. Um, that may change. And especially if some of these big players like PayPal and Visa uh, start to incorporate it. Okay, so looking at our next property of money, we look at this thing called divisibility or divisible. Now, uh, in the past, we used, you know, uh, seashells and salt and grains of rice and more recently, silver and, and gold coins. Bitcoin's obviously divisible, but could you compare the two between, say, commodity money and, and Bitcoin? Well, it's funny you say Bitcoin's obviously divisible because 
The price isn't obvious yet. There's still a lot of education out there telling people, hang on, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. And we had this early on when we started educating people about Bitcoin. It was $1,000 a Bitcoin. And people thought I had to buy a whole Bitcoin. And as Bitcoin went up and up in price, people thought, I can't afford Bitcoin. It's at $10,000. So they don't understand or simply don't know that Bitcoin is divisible up to eight decimal points. So whereas currencies today, um, you know, the Australian dollar, $100 has two decimal points, you know, or dollar has two decimal points up to 99 cents. Whereas with Bitcoin, you have eight decimal points. So if you were to say one Bitcoin would be worth 1 million US dollars, well, then those last two decimal points would be um, the equivalent of 99 cents. So this is one thing that we are continuously educating people on is that Bitcoin is far more divisible than anything else out there. Um, because the one eighth of a Bitcoin is called a Satoshi. And that's not part of the vernacular at the moment, a Satoshi, but it hopefully will be. So instead of you know, referring to it as, you know, do you have Bitcoins? We might be saying, do you have Satoshis? And that just helps people understand that, okay, I don't need to buy $10,000 in one hit. I can buy $50 worth or X amount of Satoshis. Excellent point, Faris. I should smack myself for using the word obvious because it's not obvious. Uh, people go to Coinbase and they see one Bitcoin is $10,000 and then they see Bitcoin cash or whatever. Bitcoin gold is um, 12 cents. So uh, yeah, and Bitcoin uh, is actually uh, even more divisible than the eight decimal point. You can actually go further with several uh, other payment methods. So pretty much divisible to the nth degree. Okay, so our next property. Yes, Faris. Sorry, one thing I want to mention on that. So with divisibility, we, we have come across this where people go, oh, if it's divisible, it means they're making more. No, they're not. So we mentioned earlier the store of value that you know from day one, they're only going to create 21 million Bitcoins. When we talk about divisibility, it is the, those Bitcoins that are released that you're figuring out ways of um, making the payment method smaller doesn't mean it's going to affect the supply in any way. So even though the divisibility might get smaller, we might find other ways of going beyond those eight decimal points that will not affect the supply and it will not affect the release of supply in Bitcoin. So no way is that going to affect the, um, the initial supply or the continued supply of Bitcoins that's coming out. Excellent point. So uh, even though there's always going to be 21 million, we can break it up, but there's not going to be more than 21 million. So you can send extremely sub one cent uh, transactions. Thanks, Gordon. It's a better way of putting it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Our next property of money is durability. And obviously this goes back to perhaps the commodity money. It's not so much paper-based money today, like gold and before that. Uh, fish and uh, the cow that you want to send, sell me and the chicken and whatnot, not really that durable. But is that is that still relevant today, given that most currency is digital anyway? Um, yes. So th this is one of the continuous arguments that I hear against Bitcoin from some very clever people. And it's probably the only argument that makes me swear is people say, well, if we have a global electricity wipeout that wipes out the blockchain and you lose all your Bitcoins. <laughs> uh, anyways, so 
let me start back. What makes what made gold a currency store of value for over five thousand years was this aspect. It's very durable. Um, you find gold at the bottom of the ocean. It's been there for a thousand years. You bring it up. Very easy to clean. Very easy to prove that it's gold. And yeah, it's very simple as uh, a durable store of value. It doesn't decay. It doesn't erode. Anything like that. So with Bitcoin, the argument is that, well, it only exists electronically. I can't hold it, therefore it's not gonna last. Now, if an electromagnetic pole somehow wipes out every computer on the earth, um, how we pay for things is gonna be the least of your problems. Even so, the blockchain is actually now um, on, on a satellite orbiting the planet. So we've actually found ways of doing that. Um, now I mentioned gold has been used for 5,000 years. Now, what Bitcoin is, is basically a ledger. And a ledger is what? A series of recorded notes. Now, there are caves in Indonesia where men, you know, early man made drawings on those caves 30,000 years ago. To me, that's proof that is recorded there. That's 30,000 years old. That was written down. We've done the same thing. We've written something and it is in an electronic ledger. And that ledger is now distributed around the world. It cannot be hacked and it cannot be reversed. It's at the point now where um, it is set. It's like, a, it's like a digital pyramid. You cannot undo it. So it is actually now the safest recorded transaction history ever known to man. So you could almost uh, replace the word durable with secure or perhaps another any any other adjective because uh even back in the past Ferris, when they're using gold coins the the royal mint would clip the coins and you know scrape things off or whatever so um i think also nowadays security and verifiability how can you verify that that um that something is fake and not you know counterfeit whatnot is probably more important um the next and last uh, property of money, there are actually several properties of money, but this is the last main one, is something called transferability. Now, I think people may think that Bitcoin is obviously easier to transfer than, say, gold and silver and other commodity money. Is, is that it? Is it just that simple? Yeah, so transferability is basically I hand coins from my pocket into your pocket. That's just a way of transferring. I buy something from you, I give you coins. It used to be coins and we moved on to paper currency, then we moved on to debit cards and credit cards. We've had checks, all this kind of stuff. So Bitcoin is actually the, once you know what you're doing, it is the best means of transferring funds. Um, with credit cards these days, um, this, so credit card is instantaneous when you're buying something. However, the settlement is anywhere from 30 days to 60 days, basically meaning that charge can be disputed. It can be reversed in that period. With Bitcoin, it's less than 10 minutes now. That's the settlement. So the issue that we have with Bitcoin is it's not quick like a credit card um, is. So that transaction is not quick. You can't use Bitcoin really at the supermarkets unless... It's just not accepted yet, but the settlement period is within 10 minutes and that cannot be reversed and it cannot be disputed. Um, from you know, As far as moving money from one place in the world to another place, there's nothing faster, there's nothing more secure, there's nothing easier when you know what, you, what you're doing. So nothing can come close to um, the transferability and security of Bitcoin. 
Good answer, Faris. And we've mentioned the Lightning Networks, uh, Lightning Networks several times. I'll link to our episodes of that in, in the description. But the Lightning Network, actually, you don't have to wait 10 minutes. It's pretty much instantaneous. But I think what Faris just said then can't be misunderstood because a lot of people really just don't sort of understand that. They just concentrate on the method of payment. So Bitcoin, you pay within, say, 10 minutes. If you're really lucky, you might get your payment within 30 seconds or a minute, but sometimes you have to wait 10 minutes. And that's slow. It is slow compared to your Visa, MasterCard or your bank. Absolutely. But what Faris says is the settlement is actually done within 10 minutes. So banks, and I used to work at a bank, they set a lot of stuff overnight in batch processes that run two o'clock in the morning. Uh, Swift Network, um, as Faris mentioned, Visa card, MasterCard, they settle within 30 or 60 days. Bitcoin is doing it within 10 minutes. So that is quite amazing. If you couple that quick settlement with a payment network that sort of sits on top of Bitcoin, like the Lightning Network, that's instantaneous. Fantastic. So um, pretty much uh, completely uh, destroys all other currencies and money in terms of transferability. Okay, so Bitcoin's awesome. It's better than every other money. And I said money, not just currency. Um, so I, I, I guess sort of we've, we've touched on the basics of sort of what is Bitcoin. Um, and you wrote in your ebook, Faris, that Bitcoin is a new store of value, a new store of value for the people. What, what do you mean by that? So I think it's actually really important to understand when Bitcoin came out, and that was 2008, and in 2008, early 2009. Um, and there was a reference to the quantitative easing that was done by the Bank of England at the time. So when Bitcoin came out, we basically saw um, this stock market crash in the US that um, had a butterfly effect in Europe, Japan, Iceland, around the world. And the 2008 crisis, I think, is really important to understand for Bitcoin because that was based on simply excess debt. So very, very little real money in the system and people piling on derivative debt on top of it. So you, had, you didn't have value in the financial system. It wasn't real money. There was just, it was a, it was, um, a house of cards. With Bitcoin, what was created was basically is an asset where you're not going to build fake money on top of it. And it's not a debt-based system. It's, you know, with gold, you buy and you hold gold. And if I want to give you some gold, I'm going to break it into pieces. What we've done in the financial system, we've just leveraged on that gold. We've just created derivative markets where now it's beyond comparison um, how much money, not real money, is out there, but how much currency is out there. And since uh, COVID of 2020, the response to that is just to create more debt. So it's really important to understand the social and economic um, times, environments of Bitcoin. And when I say it's a store of value, it's basically saying, okay, we don't like what governments are doing. They're simply creating more debt. Debt has to be repaid. Government debt has to be repaid by taxpayers. And it's by the future taxpayers. So what Bitcoin was, was saying, okay, here's a system where we're not going to create more, you know, derivative currency. This is actually set in stone how much Bitcoins we're going to create. And governments cannot impact this. So without going to the weeds too much, um, 
Bitcoin is actually created by the people who are involved in Bitcoin and anyone can join Bitcoin. The Bitcoin blockchain, which we'll explain, you can go ahead and be a part of that. So with reserve bank currencies, national currencies, it's only a handful of people that make the decision that affect billions of lives. With Bitcoin, it's the people that are affected by Bitcoin, the people involved in Bitcoin, they make the decision and it has to be a 51% vote. So I know I've unpacked a lot there, but the thing to understand about Bitcoin, it is created by the people for the people. Excellent. That's exactly what I was just about to say uh, for the people. It sounds corny, but it's absolutely true. And I think your other point about uh, central banks printing money, hand over fist, there's no central bank of Bitcoin. There's only 21 million Bitcoins that will ever be created and that cannot be changed. So you probably got a lot of technical questions about, well, how does that work? Why can't people print more Bitcoins and all this sort of stuff? We will answer them in the next episode when we delve into the technology behind Bitcoin, the blockchain. But before we do that, any, any um, final thoughts or summaries of uh, Bitcoin and why we need Bitcoin? Oh, so there's a lot. I mean, what we've given here is just very much the surface. If you want to scratch below it, um, please go to BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com and you'll find more material there as to trying to understand um, these key concepts a lot more. Excellent. Thanks, Faris. And we will see you all in the next episode. Cool. I felt a lot better, man. Yeah, it was good. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.